Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your host, Saul Marquez. Outcomes Rocket listeners, I want to welcome you back to the show today. Today, I have an outstanding guest that I have the pleasure to have on the show. His name is Tom Mallon. Tom is a co-founder and chairman of the board of Regent Surgical Health, formerly the company's chief executive officer. Tom has significant experience in venture capital funds, turnarounds, and physician recruitment, and offers each facility his expertise on all aspects of clinical and financial operations. Started in 2001, Regent specializes in working with physicians and hospital partners in the development, management, and turnaround of surgery centers around the country. Tom, I'll open up the mic here to you, and you could round out that introduction with maybe something I didn't mention about you that you want to share with the listeners. Great, Saul. Thank you so much for inviting me to join you. I think the end of the story is not in that bio. I became chairman at the end of last year after a two-year process of trying to figure out what the right strategic direction for the company might be. And after that process, we ended up to execute an employee stock ownership plan for the company to allow the employees to take the company forward and get the benefit of their efforts in increasing the value and the services to our partners, both hospitals and doctors. That's really great, Tom, and and I appreciate you sharing that with us. Why did you decide to get into the medical sector? Great question. I was very fortunate to have a, a wonderful mother and father who raised seven children in rural Ohio. And my mother happened to be a registered nurse, and she primarily worked two areas during my youth. One was OB and delivery, and the other, they didn't know it at the time, they didn't have a name for it at the time, but today we call it hospice, taking care of terminally ill people. And my mother truly was, in my view, a Florence Nightingale, and she was my inspiration as a young person as to how you could marry your passion and your vocation for a very fulfilling career. I did not go into healthcare. I went into business. That's the way I was wired. I thought I might consider going to medical school, but business fascinated me. And I ended up in commercial real estate in Chicago for 12 years. Wow. Okay. And uh, I was leasing office space with some of the nicest, most architecturally significant buildings in the world. And it was a lot of fun. But after the third recession, when a third of my, of my friends went broke, it was a very competitive business. And the recessions were really had a tremendous negative impact on the people I knew. And so I started looking around for another field that I could understand, that I could, was interested in, that I could use my skills and not have the ups and downs of the real estate market. And that brought me to healthcare. And it brought me back to my past, my mother's love for healthcare. I knew I would enjoy it because I had many friends who became physicians and several of them were advising me when I turned my sights to this industry. And I started searching for different aspects of healthcare that were that had the characteristics that I wanted in my next business. When I found outpatient surgery centers, they checked every box. It was a roll-up kind of industry with a lot of disparate ownership. There wasn't a, somebody who owned all all of the business already. It was something that could be financed. It was something that could be capital light. It wasn't tremendously capital intensive. But the other aspects of it that really intrigued me was the fact that my partners 
were my customers. And basically, if you have a McDonald's restaurant, or let's say you have a Marriott hotel, you have a certain line item called marketing to get customers to come into you. And in surgery centers, you don't have that line item because your customers are your physician partners and they bring their patients that are appropriate to our venue to us. So that's how I ended up in healthcare and why. It was uh, basically a frustration with my first choice of careers. (laughs) What a great story. And so you took the meandering road, the influence of your mother, and just found a place through some friends that were able to advise you. And you found an opportunity in the market. You quickly, from the beginning, saw a niche. And you've stuck to that niche since the beginning. Yes, Mostly stuck to the niche. For the most part. (laughs) For the most part. We can talk about when I veered from the niche, but mostly stayed to that niche. And staying to that niche was a good decision. (laughs) I definitely want to hear about that as well. So, Tom, thank you for sharing that. And it's always interesting to hear how folks end up in the business that are on the business side as it differs from the practicing folks like the chief medical officers and things of that Mm -hmm. sort. So, thank you so much for sharing your, your journey into healthcare. That's very interesting. So, Tom, you've been in the business for how many years now? Well, uh, my first company started in 1995, and I was involved with that for about four years. And then I was out of the industry for about 18 months and then started Regent in 2001. So 16 years in this company. But they were both in the surgery business. So 16 years in this company and then four years before. So about 20 years of of experience. That is two decades of experience. And so with that experience that you gained, Tom, what is a hot topic that you feel should be on every medical leader's agenda today? And how are you and Regent approaching that topic? I think there's two factors in healthcare that everybody in healthcare has got to be laser focused on. One is lowering costs and the other is increasing the quality of what we do. Quality meaning the outcome for the patient, getting the patient the objectives that they're looking to achieve through a surgery or a treatment of some sort. The surgery center business is one of the five areas identified by CMS that a health system can use to dramatically reduce costs. CMS pays about 54 cents on the dollar compared to what they pay for the very same work by the very same surgeon, by the very same nurses in an outpatient department of the hospital. So it is a massive cost saver to the federal government and also to commercial payers. We have a lower cost of care. We are off the campus or we're in a part of the campus that's easy to access in and out. We treat primarily healthy patients, scheduled surgery without interruptions of emergencies. And we do a lot of the same surgeries over and over again. So we become very good at at them with the same people in the same room with the same physician, where if they go to a big hospital, anesthesia is different, The nurses may be new. There may be a floater because they're short of staff who came Mm -hmm. from another state. So these are the things that make our system work better than the the outpatient departments of the hospitals. And I really like the idea that you presented here, Tom, of the surgical centers 
the out, outpatient centers as a vehicle to achieve cost reductions and quality improvements. And I really like how you dove into the specifics of, of why. And um, as we think of healthcare leaders and systems buying each other up, what is one thing that, that our listeners can think of as a way to optimize their surgical center performance? Well, the, the surgical centers for a health system, I mean, we have... 26 surgery centers across the country, 20 of them have health system partners. It is a huge strategic weapon for a health system to accomplish a whole number of things. Cost is one item because they're probably in an accountable care organization for CMS. Mm -hmm. The second item is quality. Because of our high repetition of the same surgeries, we drive great quality results. The infection rates are minuscule. The bad outcomes are almost non-existent. We will admit after post-surgery, one out of a thousand patients that we treat. And we treat about 50,000 patients a year. So that's about 50 admissions per year. And it's usually for pain control. It's usually Mm -hmm. not for a bad outcome. Emergencies or anything like that. Correct. And then the third item that a health system is looking for is an alignment with their physicians. And again, everything we do in our industry is to align interests. So for a health system to market to a group of of surgeons, which is where the majority of the money that a health system makes comes in, for them to to attract them to their own facilities for their inpatient and more of their outpatient work, they seek to do a joint venture with those surgeons. And so everybody's on the same side of the table from a quality and clinical and cost standpoint. So that's how they lock down their surgeon base. And it used to be that health systems, if you were an employed doctor, they didn't care if if they took care of your interest to control your own workspace. They wanted those employed doctors to be in the outpatient department of the hospital. But today, they realize that they don't own those doctors. They only rent them. They rent them in three-year increments. And every three years, they've got to renew their contracts. And sometimes those contracts go up and sometimes they go down. But if that surgeon has an ownership interest in something in the community, like a surgery center, even if they leave the hospital, they'll stay in the community. And so attracting high quality providers to a community, whether they're employed or not, is the in the, the wheelhouse of most health systems. So the surgery center partnerships help them stabilize their medical surgical care in that community. Fascinating. And so if you could give Outcomes Rocket listeners an example of how Regent helps physician attraction and retention, what would you say one thing Besides call you and your company, of course, one thing <laughs> that they could do to make that third, sort of that third prong approach of, uh, you know, the third being physician retention, what could they do to maximize it? Well, it's interesting. First of all, getting past the factor that a hospital is the center of the universe when in fact the patient is the center of the universe and care should be in the lowest cost, highest quality venue by the correct provider That's a change most hospital administrators have made. There are some older hospital administrators that still think their job is to to be at the center of the wheel. If the hospital 
will see its way clear to form a surgery center partnership and to partner with their surgeons. What then happens is they have regular board meetings and the CFO or the CEO sit down with these doctors once a month in a non-adversarial way and talk about their venture together. And what we see happening over time is that those discussions far exceed before the meeting and after the meeting what everybody's come together to talk about the surgery center business. They, we see doctors and hospitals forming other ventures and other initiatives that are appropriate for the community that are not connected to the surgery center at all, but yet serve the community. And that is, I think, what I would recommend to CEOs and CFOs. Don't look at the few dollars you're going to lose by a few cases going from your outpatient department to the surgery center, which is their biggest worry, they're going to lose money if they do that. The reality a year or two later is that time in those outpatient departments has been filled with more profitable cases. The surgery center then becomes profitable. The doctors become more tied to the uh, system. They bring more of their inpatients to the system and patients that aren't appropriate for the surgery center, more sick patients or more acute patients, they will take to the outpatient department. When in fact, they used to split between two systems. Now they're, they're shoving everything into the one partnership because they're comfortable and they trust the hospital administration to care for their patients in an appropriate way. Yeah, that's a great point, Tom. And so let the patient be the center of your universe and not the hospital. That's just such a great way to sum it up and let everything else fall into place, even Mm -hmm. though short term might cost a little bit, the long term will lead to better outcomes and, and physician retention. I believe so. Tom, that's great. And so you've gone through the ups and downs and you learned a lot through your real estate experience and then your 20 years in healthcare. You've had a lot of success. And with that success also comes some drawbacks, you know, maybe potential pitfalls. Can you share with Outcomes Rocket listeners a time that you made a mistake or failed and what you learned from that moment? Absolutely. You mentioned that we've stuck to our knitting in the surgery center business. In 19 or 2006, 2007, what we saw happening was the surgery centers were becoming very, very busy. And the doctors were saying, if only we could do are some of our inpatients with our outpatients, we would be a lot more efficient. Our patients would get better care. It would be cheaper. So at that point, we looked at it and we said, okay, why don't we add 15 beds to a successful surgery center, convert to a hospital license and meet the needs of our physician partners. We ended up doing that with two facilities, one in Dayton, Ohio, and one in Munster, Indiana. And what we underestimated were two things. We underestimated the complexity of running a hospital. Took us about a year to figure that out. We were able to get it licensed and accredited in in lightning fast time, but the billing and collection were different. The quality markers are different. And so it, it was a complicated business. I still believe we could have figured it out and been successful in the business. But the other thing we underestimated was the political blowback by the health systems for their doctor staff yep. competing against them. Absolutely. So with Obamacare, basically there were 190 physician-owned hospitals in the country. But now today, you or I can own a hospital, but a doctor who refers to that hospital cannot own a physician-owned hospital. The ones that were out there are frozen in time. They can't expand. And basically, there are no new ones being built. 
So those were the two big mistakes. And ultimately, we have effectively, we still own a, a small ownership interest in our Dayton facility. Okay. It's still a, a great contributor to the medical community there. It's never been as successful as it could be because of the blowback from the health systems in that market. Um, so, Tom, thanks for sharing that. And what I got out of that experience was that you got into a realm that was fairly out of the wheelhouse, even though it was still part of the system. We thought it was related, but it wasn't. <laughs> completely different. And so it sounds like you took a step back and you decided to refocus on what your strengths were and you just pursued those. And we've had competitors who have made exactly the opposite decision and been incredibly successful, but it, was, it didn't work for us. And to this day, maybe we didn't devote enough resources to it early enough, but Bottom line is we, we felt that our best value in the marketplace was going to be in the surgery center arena. We understood what we didn't know about that, what we didn't know about some of the hospital issues. Totally. I appreciate that. Thanks for sharing that. I think sure. oftentimes we learn more from our mistakes than our successes, and that's a great example of that. Absolutely. Tom, maybe I'd like to hear more about the other side of that coin and tell me about your proudest medical leadership experience that you've had to date. That would be what we just accomplished through the conversion to the ESOP. For an ESOP to be successful, you need to have a very strong management team. And we thought we had it two years ago. We had some young folks who had joined us who were really brilliant people, great educations, great motivations. We had a leader who was our chief operating officer was an attorney, been with us for nine years. Well, he was the president of the Surgery Center Association in Washington. He's head of our political action committee. His name was Knapp Gary, and he was a brilliant man. And he was my designated successor. And we were going to walk arm in arm into the process of figuring out whether we should be a sale to a strategic private equity or an ESOP. And that was the spring of 2015. And he was the young guy on our management team. Well, Mother's Day morning, we get phone calls from his widow telling us that he had died on the path training for his next marathon. No way. Yes. Wow. So here, this is the curveball of all curveballs. Lose a great friend, lose a great partner, lose a great leader, picking up the pieces, hmm. doing his job, trying to figure out strategically, I've got older partners who are either retired already or need to retire. And we're not prepared to do any of the three things that we were looking to do, Nap and I together. So we were blessed to recruit a new CEO. He came in as president. His name's Chris Bishop. Chris is a high values person, great marketer, great. He's different than Nap, but he's, I think, the right leader for the next season for our company. So Chris came in hmm. in November. We then were already tied up with a strategic partner sale that we ended up backing away from. And in March, starting a new process with Chris really in the, the helm of it. And by May had decided that we were going to look hard at the ESOP area. And by October decided that was the direction we were going to go. And it the only reason we're able to do it is because we've got a great CEO, great CFO, great seniors, ops team, great development team, and they are off to the races with all the alignment of interest, again, that we look for in our industry. We look for aligning the hospitals and the doctors. Now we're looking to align the, the employees to give them the same financial outcome potential that we all enjoyed in starting the company. 
Wow. I just didn't expect that turn. Uh, to, <laughs> to be honest with you, I, I was captivated by your story. And then I just couldn't believe the turn of your friend and business partner dying during his marathon. And I guess the message there is you never know what's going to come. And so you are as strong as your people and the systems at the company. And so what are we doing to strengthen that group of leaders and the systems that we rely on? Yes. I mean, we had several people left right after Knapp died. Wow. Bright young people who all of a sudden couldn't see a way forward. It was traumatic for all of us. And I can say that it was the hardest thing that I've ever gone through in my business career, not just the 20 years in surgery, sure. but in my 35 or 40 years of being in professional business. And Tom, what is it that you believe, if you had to boil it down to one thing, what is it that you believe helped you keep it together? and make this work? Great question. I think my faith is part of it. If I didn't believe that I was not just doing a job, but providing a service that was as much ministry as it was a job, it would have been easy to quit. Because mm -hmm. if it was all about just money, I could make more money someplace else. But I think that's basically what carried me through the, the whole process. It was not easy. And there were so many bumps in the road that should have de derailed us, but we somehow made it through each and every one of them. That's a wonderful story. And I, I definitely, I feel my heart beating a little faster after that one because, uh, and it's very compelling, Tom. And I heard a saying from a woman that was going through cancer and she shared something with me that has stuck with me that kind of reminded me with your answer about faith. She said that, she's like, Saul, what is the difference between faith and fear? And I said, well, Susan, I don't know, you could probably tell me better. You're the one that just survived cancer. She said that faith is the imagination directed, while fear is the imagination undirected. Yes. Obviously, there's the Lord above, and that's the faith. But the faith that the Lord above gives you, and I'm not making this a religious thing, because there's folks that have many different religious persuasions, but exactly, it's that faith that things are going to work out. And when you could direct your imagination to a place that things are going to work out, that's when they do. And that's how she survived her cancer. Tom, that's how you put together your plan and were able to execute on this ESOP. I thank you for sharing that. That's such yeah. a great story. Well, and, and one of the things that carried me through the really the last six years is I've been a member of an organization called C12. C12 is based, I think it's based now in, was in North Carolina, now it's in San Antonio. And it's basically 12 or so business owners who get together for a full day once a month to talk about their business and how we don't own our business, God owns our business. Love it. And if, you know, how do we become stewards of that? And those guys and ladies helped carry me through this whole process. You know, just that once a month check in to say, do it, do it. You're not alone. You're not alone, you know, and, and I looked at some of their problems and some of their problems were far deeper than my problems. <laughs> You're like, hey, so I'm not doing that, too bad. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't my health that had failed. It was my partner's health. They were having their health fail. And yeah. Yeah, that is a whole wow. other issue when you're, when you're trying to uh, figure out what, how you manage through your business. Totally. Wow, that's a great one, Tom. Thank you for sharing that. Let's jump into this section where I like to call it the 101 course. Let's pretend you're building a medical leadership course on what it takes to be successful in medicine today. The 101 course, 
or the ABCs of Tom Mellon. I'd like to, to write out the syllabus with you and just kind of get a couple questions answered and what your, your short answers to these questions will form the answers to the syllabus. Are you ready? Okay. All right. All right. So what is the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? It's focused effort and measurements. Love it. Measure, measure, measure. Measure, measure, measure. Yeah. What is the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? Letting individual agendas derail the main agenda of the organization. That alignment. You have, you have to have alignment. Yes. Love that. How do you stay relevant as an organization despite constant change? Keeping your head above the clouds, looking at what your competitors are doing, and figuring out what's the right direction for your organization. Awesome. What is the one area of focus that drives everything else in your company? Having satisfied patients who have great outcomes. You do those two things, the money comes, the people come, the opportunities come, everything goes well if you focus on those two things. Satisfied patients and fantastic outcomes. And so we're here at the end of the syllabus and there's one book that you have to read on the Tom Mallon course to improve healthcare. What is the one, one book that the listeners have to read? Oh man, this was tough because I read, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I'm not a voracious reader, but I read eight or 10 books a year. Nice. Uh, and I don't have a book that other than the Bible that I would say everybody has to read, but I think everybody should read that. But if you're an entrepreneur and if that's your direction, I think the old standards of think and grow rich, I mean, the, all the principles are in that book for yeah. success in building a successful business. That is awesome. Um, and I have read I that, love book that book five times. <laughs> over my life and I, I hope to read it, live long enough I can read it five more times. Think and Grow Rich. So you said there's all the principles are in there. I love that book as well. But what would you say in the Tom Allen course with the top three principles in the book that you would have the students or the people that take your course focus on? I would say the top one principle and the top two principle and the top three principle is the mastermind group. I like your C12, right? Yes. And my own board. And your board we, of directors. We had a couple of outsiders and we had four insiders and we got together every month and we were mm. accountable to each That's other. Awesome. And we dreamed about what the business could be. We worked together in a cooperative spirit and built what turned out to be a very, very successful, financially successful business. But it was only financially successful because it delivered a great service that was needed by the market. Wonderful. And Outcomes Rocket listeners, I just want to stress this point that Tom shared with us. Principle one, principle two, principle three is the mastermind group. And if you haven't had a chance to read the Think and Grow Rich book, it is one that I also truly recommend. You'll find it in the show notes along with some of the other things that Tom has mentioned here in our show so that you could go ahead and purchase that for yourself. The power of the mastermind group. Thank you so much for sharing that, Tom. Certainly. So, Tom, we, we've covered a lot of ground in a very short time, and I thank you. And the Outcomes Rocket listeners, thank you. So before we conclude, I'd like to, for you to just open up the floor to Tom and just conclude with a closing thought and then maybe a place where the Outcomes Rocket listeners can reach you. All right. I think in building a business like we did, it's most important to think about your purpose, what really gets you getting up early, staying up late. And the purpose for me was 
a service that was a ministry as well as as a job. And I think because of my mother's background and my college friends who went into medicine, I love the healthcare field. And it was just, the day I got into it, I knew this is where I wanted to spend the rest of my career. Then the other question is how do you execute that? Because we are all almost fits for our jobs. Every one of us has strengths and weaknesses, and the weaknesses can derail us every day, all day. So how do you put together a team that can meld together where everybody's a piece and part of a successful endeavor so all the necessary services are covered, but no one person can do all of it? So we fit together like a puzzle. And my weaknesses are my CFO's strengths, my CFO's weaknesses are my business development guy's strengths, and it all, once you get the pieces and parts together and you recruit the right people and you've got the right mission, that's when it becomes fun. It's not work. Mm-hmm. And I can honestly tell you that most of the days I went in were a joy to behold, very different than my real estate days when I was dragging myself into the office and hating most of what I did every mm-hmm. day. Wow. Outstanding, Tom. So just get your purpose right, get your people right, and make sure that what you're doing is improving those, those outcomes and everything just kind of follows it through. Does. It does. That's wonderful. And where can the Outcomes Rocket listeners get in touch with you? Do you have an okay. email address or something my, like that? My email address is tmallon, M-A-L-L-O-N, at regentsurgicalhealth, one word, dot com. My cell phone is 708-408-7640. I am part-time right now as a non-executive chairman, but if any of the uh, listeners would like to talk with me, I'm happy to talk with them. Or if there's an opportunity for them to be in, that they would like Regent to be involved with, I can connect them to the right people in the team who would be responsible for those uh, opportunities. I really want to thank you. Great, Saul. Well, thank you for inviting me to join you. Get excited for Health 2.0's 11th Annual Fall Conference and save $100 with this promo code, FALL17ROCKET. That's F-A-L-L-1-7-R-O-C-K-E-T. At this one-of-a-kind conference, you'll discover the latest innovation and hear the hottest topics and trends in health tech. Join 2,000 decision makers, including healthcare providers, developers, investors, and startups, as they gather to see over 200 live product demos, 100 plus thought leaders, and 10 new company launches. Visit outcomesrocket.com/health20. That's outcomesrocket.com/health20, and use promo code FALL17ROCKET to get $100 off of this outstanding and exciting event. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more. 